Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to uh, speak to our hearts tonight. Um, oh, real quick, two, two announcements. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, tonight for the privilege of being able to worship you. I just ask you, Lord, to speak to us now through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, TJ, it's not your fault. I think there's really is a radio coming through here, but I guess maybe you better just turn them off for me. Thanks, buddy. Go to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. And uh, we're going to look at this chapter this evening. 2 Peter chapter 3, and you could write across the top of your notes if you're taking notes. Embracing the true reality. You ask yourself the question, what is really real anyway? Sometimes it's hard to know, isn't it? So we're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 1. This is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. I want you to remember and understand what the Holy Prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. First, I want to remind you that in the last days there will be scoffers who will laugh at the truth and do every evil thing they desire. This will be their argument. Jesus promised to come back, did he? Then where is he? Why, as far back as anyone can remember, everything has remained exactly the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of His command. And He brought the earth up from the water and surrounded it with water. Then He used the water to destroy the world with a mighty flood. And God has also commanded that the heavens and the earth will be consumed by fire on the day of judgment when ungodly people will perish. But you must not forget, dear friends, that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise to return, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so He's giving more time for everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and everything in them will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be exposed to judgment. Since everything around us is going to melt away, what holy and godly lives we should be living. You should look forward to the day and hurry it along. The day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we're looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth that God has promised. A world where everyone is right with God. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to live a pure and blameless life and be at peace with God. And remember the Lord is waiting so that people have time to be saved. This is just as our beloved brother Paul wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters around to mean something quite different from what Paul intended, just as they do other parts of the scripture and the result is disaster for them. I am warning you ahead of time, dear friends, so that you can watch out and not be carried away by the errors of wicked people. I don't want you to lose your own secure footing but grow in the grace and special favor and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and honor, both now and forevermore. Amen. This passage is a 
very profound passage and very important for us right now as Christians. Sometimes it's difficult, isn't it, to remember what's really real and what isn't. Uh, three or four nights ago, my son, he's been my son Micah, he's been wanting to get a DVD player, so I happened to be in a blockbuster and they had this $200 DVD player that holds five discs for 60 bucks. So I said, hey, you know, it seems like a good DVD player. So I brought it home and I said to the lady, I said, now look, I just brought this DVD player, so you got to just give me a DVD, right, to watch on it, because what would it be if I took this brand new DVD player home and I didn't have a DVD? And I said, since I spent so much, how about you just loan me one for free tonight? So she said, all right, which one do you want? So I went over and I thought for a minute, I, thought, I said, well, what's a good one on DVD? She goes, The Matrix. you got to see The Matrix on DVD. So I said, well, okay, I'll get The Matrix. So I took it home, and I've seen it before, but it was quite a while ago. And, and as I was watching The Matrix, thinking about this passage, it made me think about so many things in the spiritual reality in which we live. But I was thinking particularly of Morpheus and how he was waiting for the one, that being Neo, but Neo didn't really know it, didn't really believe it. And, uh, and what he does is reveal to him a, a, a reality that he had not previously known about. And he also revealed to him the lie called normal living. And, and he made Neil understand that actually the whole world was enslaved to machines. And that they were all living in this phony world. And that the real world that he allowed him to see was full of poverty and brokenness. And these guys are living on this ship. And although they have all these technological things on the ship, they live very poor. They eat this goop. And life's pretty tough. And the whole point, at least what I could gather from the movie, some of you have probably seen it 100 times. Some of you have probably seen it 10 and analyzed every single thing about it. I'm, I'm simply simplifying the whole thing. But, but the whole point is to convince Neo and this team, but especially him, to make him believe that the evil forces can be defeated and to free the whole human race from the lie that they've been exposed to and to build a new world. And I thought about Christianity. I thought about all the parallels to the Christian faith and how you and I today in the world we live in, we often need a gut check, don't we? We need a reality check for God to sort of knock us upside the head and make us realize, hey guys... This isn't real. The world you live in is full of dead men walking. You remember the little movie, The Sixth Sense? And the little kid says, I see dead people. I see dead people. You, you realize that almost all the great ideas for movies have all come from the Bible? You remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? You're dead men walking. You're walking sepulchers. The human race is a bunch of people walking around dead. They're dead, but we don't see it that way. See, we're just like Neo before he took the pill. And we look out and we go, oh, it's a beautiful world. And everything's just awesome. And everything's just wonderful. And God says, no, everything's not wonderful. The world's full of wicked, dead people. And they're going to try to convince you that what you really believe isn't true. And that what they have really is true. And one day God is going to come back and He's going to judge the entire world and people are going to make fun of before that time your faith and they're going to scoff at it. Where is this Jesus? And how can this really be true? And there's even going to be betrayers like Cypher who decide they'd rather eat phony salmon that tastes real than have the realities of heaven and they sell out the person who set them free like Judas did to Jesus. 
And I was pondering this and thinking how critically important it is for you and I to understand that Christ is going to come back and that everything that we see around us is going to be destroyed. You know, it's easy, isn't it, to get caught up in the things of this world. I had something happen to me the other day that it has, I mean, I'm being honest with you, in this area, it hasn't happened in a long, 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 long time. I have really very few desires other than the basic desires to get up, eat, and, uh, you know, do a few other things and, uh, and love my wife and love my kids and enjoy a few simple pleasures of life. I don't have any great wants or great desires. And a lot of that's because for all these years, uh, really over half my life now, I've been seeking the Lord and seeking the Lord. But the other day, Kathy and I went to refinance our house. We uh, got this. I- I've been praying just a little secret about finances. I just pray every day, God, bless my money and make it go farther than it should. Bless my car and make it last longer than it ought to. I do that all the time. I get a call from a friend. He goes, look, I got 4.87% interest. It isn't coming down to this again, Mark. For 15 years, you can get this, get this. You know, I got it. And it's like, that. it saved me $125,000. So like just praying, just asking God. I mean, you know, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. God did it. So I go to this place where we're supposed to have this signing. And I pull up the van. And, you know, Kathy and I have been driving a minivan now since 1990. Same minivan, just I've had two in that time, an Aerostar. So we pull up, and there is a car. Now, I don't usually, nut cars do nothing for me. Well, let's say for a long time I've just turned off the switch. And there in front of me is this beautiful, light, kind of a green, mint, khaki sort of green, Mini Cooper S. Now, I'm not a Hummer guy. I want you to know that. I think guys who think they need a Hummer to prove their masculinity have a problem personally. And, uh, and I won't get into that. And I'm not turned on by 4 by 4s And I could care less about a Harley-Davidson. But a Mini Cooper S is the most unique car right now on the road. They're going to be worth a lot of money because they're not going to make a ton of them. And those babies, they will fly. And you can take a corner because they're like a go-kart on the street. And you can. You can take a corner 60 miles an hour. No, you have to have the guts to do it, but trust me, it'll work. <laughs> and I looked, I said, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, I haven't done this in years. I said, Kathy, I want that car. <laughs> no, I mean, I really want that car, Kathy. I said, you know, aren't you sick of driving this minivan, sweetheart? Let, do you know how much fun we could have in this car? And I said, besides, it would be an investment because it will be worth money someday. Then I said, let's look in the window. So I walk and look in the window. Oh, my gosh, the interior is like a turn-on. You know, it's very cool. And... Um, it's like brushed aluminum. How many guys like mountain bikes? You've gone into a mountain bike shop? I can just... I hate to say this. I haven't been now in years. I stay away from them. But I used to be a machinist. I'm into art that you can ride. And I mean, I want to touch the steel. It's not steel. It's magnesium and it's titanium and it's brushed aluminum. And that stuff to me is so cool. And so I said, I said, okay, Kat, just walk away, Mark. Just walk away from the car, as I was telling myself, you know. Because in some ways, you know, I have two kids gone now. And my van's got almost 150,000 miles on it. And last year I put $2,000 in it. And I'm at that point where you go, well, do I want to put more in it or do I not? And Jessica's 18 and she's leaving for six weeks this summer. And who knows how much longer she's going to stay at home. Then i got one child at home. And I know, Micah, we could really bond in a Mini Cooper S. <laughs> I know that. You know, I know we could. And he'd, uh, we'd have some cool times. 
And I'm in a position where probably if I wanted, I could go buy one. And I thought about this passage in Scripture. I thought, you know, my Mini Cooper S or whatever I was going to buy is going to burn. It just, boom, it's going to burn. And I started reflecting. Now, again, I'm not saying you're wrong if you go buy a Mini Cooper S. This is, again, what was going on inside of me. Okay? God may speak to you different. He may go, buy it. You know? I, actually, I've thought about, another reason I thought about buying one is because they're the most unique car right now. Remember for a while, everybody looked at the Bug, but now a Bug goes by, it's a big deal. And then you looked at the PT Cruiser, and it goes by, it's a big deal. But a Mini Cooper S, there is no other car out there even close. You got the Matrix, the Vibe, and the other thing by Subaru. And, you know, they all look kind of the same, but nothing. So I thought about painting it beautiful orange with the rock symbol on it and our webpage. And just for fun, in Friday and Saturday nights, driving uptown. Bom, 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 you know? thumping the music out the back and Mike and I we could really get close and we could throw tracks out the window to people in Jesus name you know and we could throw candy out the window and say father we could be the Pied Piper of the rock you know so anyway I, I think that way sometimes not very often but once in a while and you know I just reminded myself uh, Mark you know really remember your perspective remember why you're here I was just in Costa Rica Last, it's my first time I've been to Costa Rica. I was in Honduras and then Costa Rica, and the difference is remarkable. The country is stunning. It has all of the five types of topography, I think is what they call it. It has the ocean on one side, the Caribbean on the other. It has the rainforest. It has uh, the, the most diverse range of things that can grow there. They have the mountains, and they have the lakes, and it, it's just a phenomenal place. And you can eat every single thing in every restaurant and drink the water. That's unlike any place I've been in Central America. And as I was there, even though I took in the beauty, I knew I, I didn't go out and buy a car there. I didn't go out and buy a little cabin on the side of a hill. Why? Well, because I was just visiting. Because I was down there for a reason and my family's here and I was leaving the country. I was only there for two and a half days. We need to remember, God wants us to remember, according to this passage, that God is coming back and he's going to make us a new heaven and a new earth and in other words engage the world but don't become attached to the world we have to engage in the world that that God put us here and we interface with lost people and saved people but we've got to keep in perspective that we're not going to be here for a very long time and that very soon, Christ is going to return. I was thinking, I don't know if any of you saw in the news, but in down south, they had an earthquake today. And everybody was shocked by it. And it's amazing sometimes when you watch news programs, the little tidbits of information you pick up, like, for example, I think it's uh, March is the snowiest month in Minnesota. But have you ever noticed how we all get to March, we get a few warm days, we're going, oh, winter is over until someone congs us on the head and reminds us that the greatest amount of snowfall in Minnesota falls in March. <laughs> not November, not December, not January, not February, but the month that we all wished it would never come again. And I was thinking about this tonight. The worst earthquake in the United States, you know where it was? 1851 in the south. It wasn't in California. And it was felt all the way, it was ringing church bells all the way in North Carolina. And it happened in Mississippi. 
or some some state like that tonight on the news. And I was and, and I was thinking as they showed they had videotape people stuffs falling. And one guy I read today on the internet when I was checking my email, he ran out of his house yelling to his wife, "The world's coming to an end! The world's coming to an end!" Now I don't know if you've been in an earthquake, but I was as a little kid because we live in California, and, and it wasn't the kind you know where the ground split open. But it shook the cupboards and the doors flew open and dishes fell out on the floor. And I was a little kid and it's like, well, that's a scary thing, you know. When all of a sudden it just, just things start falling off the wall and cracks appear in the wall. That's exactly what's going to happen one day. The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And everything in them will disappear in fire. Pluto, Saturn, Uranus, Venus... Mars, the moon, the sun, the entire galaxy of galaxies of galaxies, they will all be enveloped in fire. You know why? Because the entire world and the entire earth and the entire universe has been infected by sin. And it's killing God's creation. And God's going to come back and He's going to judge it. And it's going to be gone. And He's going to judge every evil person. And the only reason, according to this, that God seems slow about coming back is why? What? That's right. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. In other words, He says... No, God is not slow about His promise like you would think He's slow. He's being patient for your sake, for He does not want anyone to perish. So He's giving more time for everyone to repent. More time for everyone to repent. That's what God's waiting for. Now, I don't know if you know this, or if you've ever thought about this, but you know one of the ways we can get the Lord to come back faster? Huh? Huh? Yeah, do our job better with a greater sense of urgency and a greater sense of enthusiasm. And in other words, another way would simply be using the money that God gives us. I was reading an article tonight before I came here. And uh, many of you don't know this and maybe it's not relevant to you. But I try, try to keep tabs on this kind of stuff. So anybody ever heard of Warren Buffett? Warren Buffett is the investing guru. He lives in Omaha, Nebraska. He's the second wealthiest man in the entire world, next to Bill Gates, and the second wealthiest in the United States. Warren Buffett is an old guy. He's with Berkshire Hathaway. He started this big investment company, and he owns sneaker, uh, you know, this shoes, and he owns uh, cookie companies, and he owns all kinds of stuff. And, and literally, thousands and thousands and thousands of people, he's called the prophet of profit. And they listen to what he has to say and they track his investments and they do the same. Did you know that Warren Buffett is the single greatest contributor to zero population control and killing the unborn in the entire world? He gives more of his money for that purpose than any other. Did you know that the article I have right down there in my bag that in fact... Many countries like Japan and Thailand are dying faster than they're... They're not replacing the people that are dying. In fact, there's a multitude of countries like that. And so this, this author went to... Because he's one of the uh, stockholders, and he went to the Berkshire Hathaway, and he announced this to everybody. He stood up, and he didn't know how Warren Buffett would react to this. And he t there was 10,000 shareholders. And he told them all, he said, don't you realize that 
there aren't going to be enough kids. Berkshire Hathaway also owns Dairy Queen, invests in Dairy Queen. And he said, there's not going to be enough kids to support the Dairy Queens that you are now investing money in if you keep killing the unborn at the rate that you are. Now, imagine if you had Warren Buffett's money and you used it for just the opposite reason. Imagine how quickly or more quickly the gospel could spread if people were to take the money that God's allowed us to have. And again, he, he wants to have money to live on and money to eat and money to make your car payment or your rent or whatever it is. But think of all the frivolous expenditures that if we stop for a moment and we realize, and this, and this happened to me the other day. You know, it was a brief moment. It hasn't happened to me for a long, long time. Not since I had that Datsun 1600 Roadster. That it hit me and I thought, oh, God, that would be fun. And I thought, well, you know, a Mini Cooper S is $20,000. And, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I could make the payments... Well, I keep my expenses so low, and as my kids leave, yeah, I could probably make um, $250 payments a month, and I could probably, you know, I'd have to put full coverage insurance on it, so that would probably be uh, 100 a month. So that's 350 a month. And so, you see, I stop and ask myself a question. Well, is there something better that I could do with that money? Well, of course, what is the obvious answer if I understand this passage? The obvious answer is, well, yeah, there are probably better things that I could do if I understand the reality that this is not my home and that God is going to build a new home for you and I and a new heaven and a new earth and a new place where righteousness is going to be at home. And yet, there are many, aren't there? Many voices that cry out to us. There are many scoffers. There are many people who say, ah, Jesus isn't coming back and Christianity is a farce and don't worry, God just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to enjoy all that He's made and all these things and the next thing you know. Turn to 1 John for just a moment. I think it's 1 John chapter 4. Um... No, that may not be it. So, I'll find it. I'm looking for the verse that says, Do not love the world nor the things of this world. Thank you very much. There it is. Chapter 2, verse 15. Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you, for when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only the lust for physical pleasure, the lust for everything we see, and pride in our possessions. These are not from the Father. They are from this evil world. And this world is fading away along with everything it craves. But if you do the will of God, you will live forever. And I was thinking about that. You know, how easy it is. We live in the most titillating society in the world. You turn on the TV, and, and, and again, nothing wrong with watching TV, nothing wrong with having a TV, but all these advertisements. One of, the, one of the things I love is the mute button. I just, you know, I've learned when I do watch TV, I'm with my family, push mute, talk during the commercials. We interface, we interact. I get tired of them yelling at me and telling me I need this and I need that. 
you know. As if all of a sudden, if you have this special something, men or women are going to drool over you. Your life is going to be so much more peaceful or so much more fulfilling. And that's how almost every product is advertised. And it's so appealing, isn't it, to the eye? The eye sees it, and it's always advertised with eye candy, usually in a sexual nature, whether it's yogurt or waffles or cars. It usually appeals to the sensual nature of our being, particularly men. And even the woman doing her hair with the shampoo, oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, you know, what, are we watching an orgasm, or are you, you know, feeling good about your shampoo? And I mean, it's just... It, it gets absurd. And yet, it's not a joke to them. It's a multi-billion dollar industry in which they are trying to get you to reach and manipulate you. Manipulate you. Influence your mind to reach into your pocket. Take out the money that's really hard-earned cash and give it to them in exchange for something that will not give you what they said that it would. We're the greatest consumer nation in the world. You know that? The greatest consumer nation in the world. We are a consuming monster. We consume and we consume and we consume more and more and more and more and more and more and more. Greg was even sharing that during his money series. Some of the statistics he gave were just absolutely mind-blowing. And we have to go to this verse, brother and sister, and what we have to ask is, God, okay, what does this mean to me? What are you speaking to me? I had an individual who came up to me last week, and I'm, and I'm uh, you know, this was not my intention, but he was very, very uh, upset with me that I called Muslims evil. So I said to him, you know, I'm sorry, I should have included you and I too. He said, we're just as evil. America's, Americans are evil, Africans are evil, Iraqis are evil, Saudis are evil. Every person in the entire human race is evil until they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the world in its system is evil. It's awful. It's like the matrix. It's all a lie. All of it. It's a lie. It's not going to last. It can't make you happy. It can't give you meaning. It can't satisfy you. It's a lie. Playing for the championship tonight at the Target Center might be entertaining, but it means nothing in eternity. Absolutely nothing. Shaquille O'Neal and Kevin Garnett's stats mean nothing to God. I'm sorry, they just don't. I, I don't mind basketball. I don't really like hockey, but I know some of you do. That's okay. Whether it's golf, whatever. But all the stats in the world, they don't mean anything. The only three things in the world that are going to last. Write this down if you can't remember them. God is going to last... The Bible tells that He's eternal, that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that He always was, He is, and He always will be. The second thing is the Word of God. <clears throat> Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will not pass away. And you know the third thing? People. Every person you've ever known, they live forever. One person, because of their embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ, will live forever in heaven, in this new heaven and new earth that Christ has prepared for those who embraced Him. And the other human who does not embrace Jesus Christ will live in hell forever. Apart from all that God gives, apart from food, apart from sunshine, apart from rain, 
apart from anything. And they will be there of their own choosing. And that's reality. That's the reality. That's the eternal reality. In the meantime, this planet, God allows to continue going and He brings the sun up on it and the sunset on it so that mankind might grope for Him and know Him. I was standing in the, uh, in the airport in um, Costa Rica and then El Salvador. I, I had to fly through El Salvador. I've never been there either. So I'm, you know, basically killing time because a lot of my time on these trips back, it's only five hours, but it takes like 12 to get back because you're killing time in airports. So I'm walking in this gift shop. And it amazes me the artistic ability that God has given to people. I, I wish I had some of the things that people can do. just amaze me with wood. But, but somebody had taken these, and again, Costa Rica has these incredible array of insects. These gorgeous butterflies and moths. I mean, and they put them between glass and then put them in this very rare wood that you find only in the rainforest down there or whatever other wood they can get. And I was looking at that and, and I thought to myself, you know what the Bible says in Romans? That God, God's eternal attributes and His divine nature can be clearly seen through what He has made. I don't know if you know this, but if you ever wanted to get close to God, you know one of the ways you can get closer to God? is to study creation. Not nature. Study creation. All of nature is God's creation. Have you ever just, I mean, you know, maybe it's my age. And I admit, it could be. I didn't do this when I was younger. I really like Channel 2. I mean, I love when they show the Serengeti and they show the lions and then the elephants. I love when they show uh, different places in the world. I was watching the other day in this virtual tour of Idaho and I was stunned. I was just stunned. I was flabbergasted. Like I did not know that kind of beauty existed. I went with my son to the IMAX theater to see a Shackelford and it's this story, this incredible, it, it's hard to even believe it's true, story of survival in the Arctic North or Shackleton, whatever his name was. Sorry, wrong guy. Anyway, I was so captivated by these ice formations that they were kayaking through, the people who were doing the narrative of the story. And the colors that you get when the sun hits it, and I'm like, you know, anybody in their right mind, in your right mind, and again, most people are not in their right mind. The Bible says that. In Romans, did you know that it says that? It says their futile minds have been darkened by their foolish rebellion to God. So most people are not in their right minds. But you know, have you ever stopped back and just looked at the world that you and I live in? Like, sometimes when the sun comes up, we live behind this, uh, or we behind us is this like pond owned by the gas company, but you know, there's no gas sign around, so it looks like it's kind of our neighborhood's pond or lake, whatever you want to call it. And, and uh, since no one owns it, I ask a couple neighbors if they mind if I cut a big swath through it so that I could sit on my deck and see the lake and really have lake property. You know what I mean? So I did. I cut all these old trees, not great big ones, but little ones, and made this giant hole so I can sit on my deck. And sometimes, you know, I'll have my quiet time out there, or when I'm doing phone counseling, I sit in the sun, tan, counsel, and take in all the beauty all at the same time. And I'm stunned at how God, you know, we just take it so for granted that the sunlight hits the lake as the wind's blowing it and you get all that rippling, sparkling effect more than any diamond on any woman's hand that I've ever seen. And I'm, now, you know, maybe I'm just being so childish here, but that, that blows my mind. That floors me. 
And whenever, some of my best prayer times are never in my office, but out in nature, out in the pines. I love pines. Or to watch a duck come down or a goose come down out and just shoom, you know, and land better than any airplane. I mean, what does it cost us? God spoke the duck into being, and we have to spend how much to build a Boeing 747? And even then, it never has the grace of a duck or a swan or a goose landing from the air on a lake. We have become so brainwashed that we forgot it was my daddy that made it. It's my savior that made it. Wow, he's incredible. You know, you may not realize this, but a lot of sports is a secular form of worship. You say, how can I say that? Well, have you ever watched how many times they show Michael Jordan in his pirouettes? And what are we doing? We are ooing and eyeing at the majestic splendor of his athleticism. But how many times have you ever done that yourself just with God? You know, when you go out and you take in, I mean, again, man, I'm, God gave Michael Jordan that ability. And by the way, when I watch, I always remind myself of that. And there's a lot of athletes who actually have the humility to say that. Say, you know, just it's a God-given ability. I mean, there are things that people do and you just go, wow, that's just incredible. So I remind myself of that, by the way, when I see humans. When I saw the Dixie Chicks sing the Star Spangled Banner, Oh my gosh. To me, that was incredible. And the only other group, the only other person I ever remember wowing me at the Star Spangled Banner, you know who it was? That's right. Whitney Houston, what was it, eight years ago when she was still together? I think, I, I think Lord willing, by the way, that she is more together now. I think, I'm hoping for her sake anyway. But, it, you know, it's just, you look at that and you go, God, you put that in somebody. You know, it's so amazing. But for me, when I see... Um, when I see the beauty of the world we live in, whether it's in Australia or in Africa or Latin America or the United States, it draws me close to my Creator, to my God. And I remember that He made all of that. He made it all. And He deserves all the glory. And He's going to come back. And He can do whatever He wants with His world, by the way. You may get real upset that He's going to burn it. It is His, by the way. We're just tenants. We're just uh, renting property from the Lord for a little while till He takes us to our real home. And I just want to encourage you to remember, brother and sister, that the world only can offer you lust for physical pleasure, lust for everything we see and pride in our possessions, and that's not really from the Father. What is from the Father? The Father does give us genuine enjoyment of His creation. Now, I don't want anyone to misunderstand. Sometimes we read these passages and we think, you know, man, to be a Christian is no fun. No, that's not true. Let me say that as a Christian, I really enjoy food. Let me say as a Christian, it's only been as I walk with God, I really enjoy sex. It's only been as a Christian, I really enjoy a nap. As a Christian, I really enjoy the fact that, wow, I have legs and I can walk and I can see and I can hear and I can touch and I can smell. And I'm like, God, you've been so good to me. You know, God has been so good to us. And that's what the Bible tells us in the book of Timothy. That God has created all things to be gratefully enjoyed by those who are sanctified. Because it's only those who are sanctified who can gratefully enjoy it because everybody else, generally speaking, takes it for granted and credits it to an explosion and not to God. 
you see. And it's through Christ that we have this incredible ability to enjoy. This incredible ability to appreciate art, to appreciate people's creation, to appreciate God's work around us. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but uh, I like just watching ants. And I'll sit down and watch these little ants who are a hundred times stronger than any human being in this room for their size. And they walk and they're just so diligent. And Proverbs even talks about the ant. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard, and learn from the ant. Learn from the animal. Learn from that little insect. And he's always busy. She's always busy. Never lazy, never slothful, never making excuses. And it's always got food. There's so many things that we need to put in perspective. That we've got to put in perspective. I'd like you to turn um, real quick to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we'll wrap this up. So then, verse 1. Since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you're willing to suffer for Christ, you have decided to stop sinning. And you won't spend the rest of your life chasing after evil desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality, their lust, their feasting, their drunkenness, and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are very surprised when you no longer join them in the wicked things they do, and they say evil things about you, but just remember that they will have to face God, who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Verse 7, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sin. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. I don't know if you heard or saw the uh, previews for the new movie out called Cancun, the real Cancun. I don't know if you've ever, I don't want to bring any bad images to your mind, but I, I do want you to grasp a few things. If you've ever seen the Snoop Dogg, and his Girls Gone Wild video advertisement. And you, and you think for a moment, I stopped for a minute and thought, you know, life wasn't, to be real honest, life wasn't that crazy when I was 20. But if I was 20 today and didn't know the Lord, well, you know, that, that'd probably be the kind of craziness that I'd be wrapped up in. And the, and the Bible tells us here, whether it's that extreme or anywhere in between, that God wants us to spend our life not chasing after the fulfillment of evil desires, but anxious to do the will of God and willing to suffer. I was reading today, again, someone gave me a really meaningful article. I love biographies because, especially Christian biographies, because they allow me to step back in time and live in another reality with a person who, at, in, a, in a given situation, was laying down their life for Jesus Christ. And this was the story of David Brainerd. And David Brainerd was a missionary in around 1742 American Indians in New Jersey and, and uh, in that area of the country. David Brainerd's mother died, or father died when he was nine, and his mother died when he was 14. David Brainerd had a uh, severe uh, coughing problem that uh, all through his life as a missionary, daily he coughed up blood all the time. He, um, he was kicked out of uh, Yale, Yale or Harvard. It was one of the two 
because he made some comment, and they, they showed the comment, and you go, this is absurd. And so because he was kicked out, he ended up being a missionary. He died when he was 29. He was a missionary for four years. He struggled with melancholy, which was what depression was called in those days. And he kept these journals, and, and every day he lived on corn, corn cakes and mush during his time as a missionary, and he'd pray out in the snow. He actually was the individual who helped um, establish Dartmouth, and um, it was either Yale or Harvard College as a direct result of his life and his influence. He was the influence for William Carey, who opened up China for the gospel. He was the influence for a man named Robert Murray McShane. He was the influence for a number of dynamic missionaries who had his journals and his book that was written by Jonathan Edwards, who was one of David Brainerd's best friends. And I thought, I was thinking tonight of David Brainerd's life and the hardship of his life. And I... And I was thinking, he was a man who you know, only got to minister to Christ four years of his life and every day coughed up blood. And I thought of this passage. Are you determined to suffer in your flesh? Are you, dis- are you determined? Are you determined to suffer? Do you know what, what this suffering is talking about? It's the suffering of self-denial. It's the suffering caused when your flesh says, oh... Oh, I want that. Oh, take me down that road. Or, oh, do this to me. Or, oh, give me this. And you say no. The Bible says in Galatians, if you recall, just flip over to Galatians for just a moment so I can show you this passage. It's a really important passage to keep in mind in your Christian life. In verse 16, So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just the opposite from the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other and your choices are never free from conflict. Now, that's very important for you to understand, all right? I've been following Christ 27 years, and I can tell you, no matter how mature you get in the Lord, you will be a conflicted person till you die if you want to follow Christ. There's conflict, inner turmoil, inner conflict. One side of you says, go do this. The other side of you says, no, don't do it. And when you've armed yourself with the attitude of Christ, Christ's attitude was, I must suffer physically in order to live for God. And that's the same attitude we're to have. For if you're willing to suffer for Christ, you've decided to stop sinning. And that's the point. It's suffering when we seek to stop sinning. When we say no to the flesh, the flesh screams out. And it's it's kind of like a raging monster that you've seen on some show. And it cries out and it hurts because, see, we're stuck in the body. and And our spirit's connected to those emotions. And so we feel that pain self-denial. David Brainerd felt that pain when he was out trying to serve God, trying to reach Native Americans with the good news of Jesus Christ. And it involved suffering because he was anxious to do the will of God. That's a good thing to ask ourselves. When we get up in the morning, are we anxious to do the will of God or are we anxious? Are we anxious to do the will of God? Are we excited about the prospect of this is a new day and this is a new opportunity to love God, to serve God, to shine at my job, to shine in my vocation of choice? Or do we get out of bed with a spirit that says, oh, I just don't want to live another day. I'm just tired of doing this. I just want to give in to my flesh. 
Last week I shared with you that if you're going to be, you and I are going to be effective and productive for Jesus Christ, then we must make every effort to do so. One of the reasons we make every effort to do so is found back in Second Peter, where he says in verse um, 11, chapter 3, verse, 2 Peter 3, verse 11, since everything around us is going to melt away, what holy godly lives should you be living? What holy and godly lives should you be living? In other words, when you embrace the reality that everything around you is going to melt away. You know what that means? The analogy is like gold. When you take gold, there's dross. Nobody wants the dross. All you want is the gold. So it doesn't bother you if when God turns the fire on the, to the gold, that dross comes to the top and you scrape it off. It doesn't matter because who wants the it's called slag or crud. But the same is true with the world around us. We look at the world around us, I don't want it. I don't want it, why? Well, because it's like cotton candy. It's nothing. It's garbage. It's melting away. And in light of that, I want to live a holy, you know what holy means? A devoted life. It means a life set apart. It says, I'm God's. David Brainerd chose that life. He never married. It's not wrong to marry. The Bible tells us, in fact, in Corinthians, those who marry ought to live as though they were not. In other words, understanding that marriage isn't the meaning of your life, but it's part of what God's brought into your life to be effective for eternity. And that's all. And we're so easily, aren't we? We're so easily swayed from the straight and narrow, and, and, and we get caught up in all the things that are going on all around us. Brother and sister, I encourage you to read over Second Peter this week. Take some time to read it over tomorrow. Read over First Peter chapter 4, and remember that the end of the world is coming. And Jesus Christ is coming back, and I don't know when. The Bible makes it very clear that on our way home tonight, He could actually come. He could come next week. He could come next year. He could wait 10 more. He could wait 50 more. He could wait 100 more. I and probably a number of other devout believers in the world that know the Bible do not believe that he will wait another 100 only because of the prophetic things that are lining up in the world. It would seem pretty difficult for it to be another 100. But, you know, it could be 10 and it could be 30 and, and actually I could die and go be with the Lord before he comes. But he's coming. He's coming. And it's really important that you understand that just like Neo, you are the one. You are the ones that God has raised up to bring His enlightenment through Christ to the world. And you are the ones that He wants to remember that everything you see out there, it's not real. It doesn't last. It's a mirage. And the devil uses it all to simply distract you to simply get you all involved and entangled in the world. And when he does that, he has, in effect, made you very ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Remember that. Remember where you're going. Remember what God has for you. Remember who made all the beauty that you see every morning. It's your daddy. He made it. He made it. Revel in it. Draw near to him. Because I personally don't think it's going to be very long before he's back. Make sure you do a heart check. 
Make sure you carefully consider the decisions that you make in light of eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you have allowed us to know you. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a reason to live and a reason to be and a reason to get up every day. I know, Lord, I'm just so thankful that for 27 years I had the privilege of knowing you, the privilege of walking with you, the privilege of observing the world that you made. I know you made it. Whether the world ever embraces it or not, I know that you made the sun. I know that you made the sunset. I know that you made the oceans that I've seen. I know that you made the rainforest. And we thank you, God, for human beings that you love. We ask you, Lord, that you help us. And it's very, very easy, to be honest, to just simply go to sleep at the wheel. It's very easy in the world we live in. We live in this fleshly body and we get tired and we get worn down. And the next thing you know, we don't even know what it means to live a supernatural life by the grace of God. We don't even know what it means to, to be able to rise above the influence of our flesh because we're so immersed in it. And then that victorious Christian life that you told us we could have in Jesus Christ, we, we, we don't even believe it exists. And we miss our destiny and we miss our calling. Lord, remind us this week. Remind us of the spiritual realities that are around us all the time. We look forward, Lord, to seeing you. And, and I pray you come back quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks all of you for coming. And we'll see you in a couple weeks, okay? Thank you.